Hello. And welcome to Game Boys. Our Gay by Weekly podcast. Where we translate nerd culture. And let's be honest. We always have fun. <laughs> God damn it. I don't know what's wrong with us today. It's fine. Not sure either. How are you doing, Wesley? I'm good. I- I'm really good. I actually, seconds before starting this, finished all of my goals for August. So I'm very excited. Would you like to explain what that meant? Because I'm sure that could be goals for the gay agenda, or <laughs> body diet goals, or trying to get rid of the body in the basement. I I don't. I don't want to. But I will. Okay, fine. <laughs> I just... I am once again dipping my toes back into game development. I don't know if... I feel like I've hinted about this side project, and I... I I don't want to become one of those people who's just always going on and on about their manuscript, so to speak. But it is my life, and it's replaced most of my time spent that I used to spend gaming or doing anything for myself. Let's be honest, it's mostly just I do this instead of browse Reddit now, and my life's much better for it. But anyways, I've set up (laughs) monthly milestones to get my game done, so I have... One full layer of the gameplay complete now. You're being productive. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And not, you know, searching Reddit and Twitter for various amounts of... Porn. Furry porn. Yes. Now I write the furry porn myself. It's excellent. Anyways, other than that, would would you like to talk about recent events? Or maybe we should save that for our tabletop update so that we can... Just divulge into your birthday weekend. I, I think I'll save recent events for the events section, if that's all right with you. We we watched Lock and Key, so if you if you need a lock that needs unlocking, you can check out this is, TV show. Is this the key to your desires? No, it's certainly not because that that's is a different show. a different show, and yes. it also is frustrating to watch this season. Lock and Key is frustrating to watch. This oh yes, the, the different show is fantastic. Oh we'll yes, get we'll get that. we'll get to Desire, Despair, and Dreams. Yes, but first we're going to to suffer through Lock and Key season three. Correct, the season final season three, the final season, and you know it always astonishes me that it's only the third season, and it feels like this show has been going on for forever. We definitely started watching it back in Denver. Yeah. We, I think that that might be part of it. Maybe. It just feels like a lifetime ago. But Netflix has wrapped up its run of Locking Key. Wesley, what did you think of the final chapter of One Locking Key? What did I think of the final chapter? It did have some bright spots. I thought the mom's story was great. Compared to prior seasons when it was kind of terrible? I didn't think it was terrible prior seasons. This is this is a show about kid empowerment. Sure. So the the adult in the situation has to be kind of dumb and out of the loop and always one step away from figuring out what the kids are really up to. And they've turned that on its head this season, and it was refreshing. That's fair. And I guess there was a lot of just, like, waiting for her story arc to actually come out in the first two seasons, and... Now you're able to see it happen. Yeah, and it does recontextualize everything you've seen about the character to this point. A hundred percent. And, you know, it 
it does have some significant bright spots with that. Yeah. Did you have any other bright spots? The stuff it stole from Stranger Things <laughs> worked. Did it, though? Mostly. As, like, a final threat to face, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> It didn't steal them from Stranger Things. This came out way before Stranger Things. But still, it's really inconvenient timing, to be sure. I, I don't know, because the friend of the show that we have who has read the book said that most of this last season is all made up. Oh, right. So I can't even be sure if <laughs> the, the big deus ex machina threat is actually from the comics or not, because I have not read them. And unfortunately, I don't feel the need to read them right now at least maybe if i do see the books you know in a local bookstore and i am able to purchase them i don't feel the need to go out of my way to get them yeah we almost impulse bought one of these comic books or at least i did because it's a graphic novel series yes yes but the bookstore we happened to be walking through only had volumes two and three and not volume one so i think you might be thinking of the other thing we might be talking about because that, that definitely had the 2, 3, and 4. Or maybe it was just both series had... Yeah, both series. The first volume missing. Yeah, this is the problem with bookstores, unfortunately. I, I love bookstores. I love looking through them. But they always seem to be missing the first. Probably because somebody always buys the first of the series. Or, come on, man. Just buy the whole fucking collection. <laughs> right, yeah. I, or, or, another problem is they have a paperback of the first... And then the second is a hardcover. And yes. that is that is troubling on many levels because yeah. it's either, is there a physical hardcover copy and we just don't know about it? Am I too late and I can't ever get that hardcover copy and it's just going to look like that terrible Harry Potter collection I have buried somewhere in my grandmother's attic. Yep. You have no choice but to go online to verify at the very least. And hey, look, it's on sale from thrift books. I may as well just get it there. Isn't that where you got your how to draw anime, but with sneakers on the robots? Yes, I've I've bought num numerous books from Thrift Books. I today bought what is it? The Animator's Survival Kit, which was recommended to me back in college. It was a three hundred dollar book at the time. I found it on Thrift Books for like thirty. Yeah, I have to look at that. I have a couple of books that need a first volume ah yes <laughs> and yes you do also is very expensive on ebay unreasonably expensive anyways lock and key lock and key we had a bunch of new keys i think so they found all the keys this season i think yes although apparently they were keys that um our friend had mentioned they never even touched hmm. like there was a kaiju key at one point interesting he mentioned where the people just you know, the person using it turned into a giant kaiju-esque person. That doesn't make a lot of sense within the... Well, maybe it does. Because well, because they everyone... were fighting in the, the ocean on the side oh. of the the cliffs and stuff like that, apparently. Okay. And yeah, anybody who witnesses magic conveniently forgets about it. So yeah. They, they... Okay, I could see that being pretty spectacular. It, it seems as though... I don't know. The keys that were introduced in this season were fun. They were... You know, there was one big one that clearly was the big driver for a lot of the plot, which was the one that you kind of go and say, oh, God, they introduced time travel. Oh, Shit. Yes. Yes. We are officially 
out of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. However, I was terrified initially because the youngest cast member found the fucking key, and then I went, the most reckless person possible has the time travel key. Mm. Nice. Mm. Mm. Which was the fucking key? Who, who used that? Did, did someone use the fucking key? Are you... Anyways. Anyways. Uh, Somebody... You know, I thought one of the more creative keys was the snow globe key. Yes, I forgot about that one. Yeah, it, it's an easy one to forget about, because it, it's set up like it's going to be the thing for the season, and then it's just sort of <laughs> shooed away. Speaking of shooing it away, they, they shoot away a problem during that episode that they never went back to and addressed. Yeah, I have no idea what happened to them. They're just... They're just not... They're, they're just stuck. They're loose in the world somewhere. No, they're just stuck. Stuck. Yeah, I don't remember where they're stuck. In the mirror. Oh, yes. That's for forever. For forever. That's their life. Separated. Oh, there's another character from this season who's just stuck forever in in Ghost World. Ghost dimension place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that works. Uh, it's hard to say. Especially, I don't... There's a lot There's a lot of rules that are really skimmed over in this series. I, and, you know, I don't need answers. I don't need answers for that one specifically. I do need answers, though, from the showrunners. Because antagonists. Mm. Why oh. do you hate them? Yeah. And why do you hate <laughs> us by extent? Ah, uh, I don't think they hate us. Why do you hate me? Okay. So, I went into this season with the promise of Dodge returning, and I certainly got that for five minutes. For five minutes. I do wonder if the the actress didn't have a scheduling conflict or something. She probably did. Had as much free time as she wanted. I just assumed that they just wanted to bring people back somehow, because... The main antagonist, the BBEG, if you would, a.k.a. Gideon, is just the worst written antagonist I have ever fucking seen in my entire life. Well, written and acted, unfortunately. Acted, yes. Because, you know, obviously they're not going to get Christian Bale for Netflix, but we have recently seen Christian Bale do something pretty wonderful with a similar character. Yeah, I guess. Well, a similarly bland character. Yes, I mean, I don't know. I, I still think the costume design looked much better in the comics, but we're not going to go into that discussion again. Yes. And it's just, it was so unfortunate. And it was after the antagonist, the most menacing thing he did at this point was scare a little girl by going boo in her face and said, ha ha ha, she'll remember that for the rest of her life. And I'm just like, this is the show. That took a kid and threw him in front of a subway. Yeah, it's easy to forget that that's how Dodge pretty much makes her entrance as a villain, at least. Yeah. This show had so much teeth, so much threatening presence and prowess, that I am just left in astonishment that they continue to drag Dodge out as this, like, no, we promise, we're still here, we still care, and then they just actively betray you yeah and they were not exactly setting her up for a redemption arc but at least a enemy of my enemy type of situation where it's like oh she's scheming they're scheming and and angling to try and 
you know, gain some upper hand along the way, and maybe they're going to come back and be the, the overall BBEG in the end. Who knows? But then they kind of just get ridden out of the show. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Completely and utterly. They uh, just... Yeah, be prepared for them to just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. This... This... My whole thing about this series is I was introduced to quite an incredible antagonist, and... The show actively, actively prevented me from ever seeing that antagonist outside of season one and 15 minutes in season two and five minutes in season three. Yeah, I forgot how bad it was in season two. Oh, yeah. So if you hated Dodge acting like some love-struck teen that just fell in love with Kenzie for no fucking reason. Yes. You're gonna hate Dodge in whatever format they have decided to take in this season because it's bad. Yeah. It's just bad. I don't want to harp on it too much because overall this season was fine. It was kind of a letdown on the villain front for sure. I do kind of love how campy it almost got towards the end. So this was the thing... And, you know, if maybe someone behind the scenes was really trying to angle it this way, but they really needed to tell the fucking actor to do this, is there is an entire sequence in the last episode that is just so fucking slapstick and so ridiculous, and it just keeps escalating and escalating. And I sat back and went, you know, if they wrote... Gideon as if he was fucking Winifred from Hocus Pocus, that would make this season redeemable. Yes. It it almost feels like they might have intended that at one point. I think it might be the buck teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Honest honestly, the buck teeth just annoyed me with him. And if he just tried to act like Winifred, it might have been redeemable. Yeah. I I do sympathize with the writers here though. The mechanics of how villains in this universe work it's really hard to work with as a writer because they're basically all powerful like they cannot be killed by any means they're impossibly strong nothing can possibly stand in their way and that's if you have a character like that you normally have to write them out of the story immediately or else they just win well that's what the keys were made for to protect against them But the only key that in any way does work against them just, you know, removes them from the board completely. It's just a, you're dead now. Well, you could immobilize them with the ghost key. You could wrap them up in chains with the lock and chain key. We did at least see them try to use the chain key. I guess the one time it was just like, oh, it didn't work. You see, It, it it is a weird... It is a weird balancing act that is akin to trying to write a Superman comic. Yes. Yeah, very much so. And <laughs> the compromise that they kept coming back to was the villain was constantly faced with somebody that they had to threaten a lot, but couldn't kill because they were the only one who knew the location of whatever. Yeah, that, that I do realize that that was the situation. And there were so many times where I'm just like... Here we go again. He's yeah. just trying to be threatening, and he's not really threatening. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't really see him threatening loved ones a lot, which was the thing I that you normally fall back on is like, okay. I oh, can't, he I, did. He went straight to the mom's boyfriend. I guess. And then kidnapped the daughter. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of that. Yeah, there was a lot of that this season from Gideon. Would have been great if he would have been like, I want my book. I guess I kind of just forgot because nobody took the threat seriously. They all lied to him and betrayed him anyways. Yeah, I think there is literally only one time. Nope. Two times that he... There are two times where he's actually lethally threatening. And the second time, I wish I didn't hate him as much because the delivery on... You just stabbed him and he went... Oops. (laughs) Oops. <laughs> it was just... At the uh, time, I was just so frustrated with the story that I kind of went, are you fucking kidding me? It, it, it probably just... It, like, if I watched it again, I probably would have been laughing my ass off. Yeah. Especially given the scene that was coming on the horizon. Oh, yes. That's... There's one scene, a conclusion to a car chase, that gives me some... Like, there's a couple of really campy beats in that car chase, actually. The the entire car chase scene is just pure camp. And I feel like they weren't intending on it to be, which is even better. I I don't know, but it, it was great. I, yeah. I wish that it had c- continued dialing up from there. It it kind of did. Kind of, yeah. Especially when it just turned from day to night within a second. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it it was just a bunch. It was bonkers. So if you if you have anything to look forward to, there is an incredible car chase scene in the final episode. That is. I don't think I've laughed that loud in a very long time. Oh, it was good. My my belly was hurting after that, for sure. Uh, I will say, also, there is some genuine, wholesome family moments. There is a lot of coming together as a family, and especially some wrapped-up story threads that are not expected, but genuinely really touching. Yeah, I I was kind of expecting them to go back on the mom learning about magic. I was kind of expecting the brother to not ever learn what was going on and how they handled both of those I thought worked really well. I think so as well. So I think there is still stuff to be looking forward to in this season, even if Gideon's kind of a bummer. Yes. Yeah. Poor villain. And that does bring the whole season down, you know, good, good gay representation overall. Kind of, because there is some... There's that. Some tropes. Yeah, yeah. There's some tropes in the second to last episode Which, that I'm kind of like, I get it, you gave us a, a gay wedding, yeah. but I don't like this. Chrissy, wake up. Yeah, yeah. Not not perfect, but... It's not perfect. It's still kind of just like, alright, well, we're here, we're queer, and we're sad. Anything else you would like to add (laughs) for lock and key specifically? Well, I do think it's interesting, maybe worthy of note that while we were in that bookstore looking at the volumes of the original lock and key, we came across an interesting crossover that neither of us knew existed. Yeah. And, you know, considering the fact that it's on our list, so we might as well cross right over into it. There is a lock and key sandman crossover yep event apparently it's the same universe or there's some sort of connecting MacGuffin. i don't know i don't know i don't know either <laughs> i mean the ninja turtles are also in it at that point so whatever 
Anyways, <laughs> would you like to talk Sandman? I would love to talk Sandman. Yes. So, this is a series that Wesley was completely against because of various shows like his dark materials yes i'm tired (laughs) i'm tired of learning world lore for your fantasy world and this looked like it might have been that i guess i i should have trust neil gaiman i just haven't seen enough of his stuff yet i guess yes i don't think you've seen or read enough of his stuff yet because it's it's pretty top tier all around until stars gets a hold of it and fucks everything over yeah incredibly digestible lore too that was one problem with american gods too was they tried to hold so many secrets close to their chest about specifically identities i think more than anything else kind of kind of but that also was part of the story as a whole yeah and i feel like they kind of let that out way too quickly, in my opinion. In American Gods? The TV show. Oh, yes. But, you know, it's it's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Especially trying to think about how that show resulted in and how great the book is in comparison. Uh, Yeah, just blame stars. Yeah, that's that's who I'm definitely blaming. (laughs) Gillian Anderson has moved on to do a fantastic job in sex education. That's fine. They get their weird media but now now it's social media yeah even though we had a perfect one anyways um anyways sandman Sand- wesley what did you think about it considering that you were very against going to see this i was just tired man i i figured it'd be good i didn't think it would be this easy to watch while also being this good i definitely didn't expect it to be this gay Oh, it's so gay. There are so many straights that are so angry about how gay it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but it's it's everywhere. It's basically everyone is some sort of disaster bisexual. Uh, to an extent, to some degree, one way or another. It's also a very secret, like, Doctor Who reunion TV show, which it just astonishes me still. Right down to, oh yes, our bonus episodes. Yes, the bonus episodes that came out out of fucking nowhere yep yeah pretty much double our doctor who reunion count maybe even more than it did it added three extra yes yeah but this show i guess we should probably talk about the premise of the show is (laughs) sandman is about the sandman aka morpheus aka dream and i I think the title was also part of what put me off to it it just (laughs) it just sounds stupid you sound stupid anyway fine (laughs) Morpheus is on Earth when he is trying to reclaim a nightmare. And in this world, he is the Lord of Dreams, where nightmares are able to bleed into our world and be able to take corporeal form and live out their fantasies of being nightmares. Except this time, Charles Dance is doing a ritual that he wants to bring his son back and summon death. But oh no, he grabbed Morpheus instead. So, yeah, right in the first 15 or so minutes of the first episode, we're introduced to Magic Exists. Certain people can harness it to trap deities, essentially, and Dream ends up being one of these, who ends up being locked on Earth for a a full century. Almost. I think it's a little under a century. Maybe a little under a century? It's definitely a couple decades. But, so, Dream is one of the Endless, which are... 
I think, seven of them. I believe it's seven. And that is on top of death, desire, despair. If you're catching the Ds, that... Yes. Yes. Yeah, Delirium, who used to be something else. Yes. And actually, what is Lucifer, then? Is Lucifer... Oh, Lucifer is not... Not one of the endless, no. Because Lucifer was a fallen angel, and... Okay. And... What was I going to say? No, I forgot what I was going to say. Hmm. The show more or less deals with, almost in a short story format, of these various instances that happen throughout Dream's life. Yeah, it gets... It gives off a really strong short story vibe, which personally I love, but it is unfamiliar, maybe even off-putting, to have like this big arc introduced that's summarily wrapped up by episode four. Episode five. But whatever. <laughs> the first half of the series. And, season. Well, granted, this is covering... Season one is covering two volumes of the comics. Yeah. Which, you know, they didn't have to explore the entire volume in an entire season they did it beautifully in five episodes yes and honestly i i if you want to get straight to the point then that's perfect and i feel like this television show that has been in production for a very long time yeah has done it masterfully yeah I, 10 out of 10 basically no notes every single episode is just too darn perfect to really say much more about apart from yeah go watch it well i think the one thing that i did see coming across and it was when people were getting so fucking critical because they couldn't really figure anything out bad about the series (laughs) was the fact that it might feel different story beat wise to any normal viewer that isn't very familiar with this kind of story trend and how the story progresses that this might feel a bit different yeah, the timeline's all over the place. It's, yeah, it's one of those things that you're probably going to have to let go of the perspective of timelines to inadequately, adequate, adequately, fuck me, grasp the reality of time. Hold on to that ideology for when we talk about our next property. <laughs> oh, we're jumping around. Yes, we Yes, are. Our, our timeline is skewed as well. Well, you had to bring up fucking Sandman so I much did, sooner. I did, I did, I did. Anyways. Apologies. And on top of just being beautifully crafted narratively, it's acted incredibly phenomenally. I mean, no arguments there. There's no lack of persons or people acting in this series whatsoever. And And incredible representation across the board with non-binary to gay, lesbian. It's just kind of incredible. Yes. And Morpheus himself... You could screw that character up so badly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have to have a specific vision for who this guy is, what motivates him, and who he becomes. Because there is significant growth shown throughout this season, and it's easy to miss. It is. And for how understated the character is, it could very easily get buried. But there's just the right amount of emphasis in the right places I wish I knew the actor's name or anything else he's done. Yeah, I believe this is his, obviously this is his big break as far as I have been led to believe. Yeah. But yeah, he has done a phenomenal job just incorporating Mor- uh, Morpheus into his performance and becoming the very thing that he is trying to portray. Yeah, and never anything approaching boring. And it goes across the board with many of the characters. Uh, Death, who was... Oh, Death. <laughs> yes. 
who was uh, Kirby on The Good Place? Simone. Simone. I don't know why I keep saying Still Kirby. Still have no idea where you're getting Don't Kirby know where from. I'm... Maybe that's her actual name, if I'm trying to remember correctly. Maybe. I'm try... Totally messing it up. But, yeah, Simone from The Good Place, coming in as Death, and Gwendolyn Christie, I believe? Gwendolyn is... Christie yes. is, is Lucifer. Lucifer. Yes. As well as... Don't say Clara. Don't say Clara. <laughs> No, that's the song I say. Clara, Clara from Doctor Who. Clara, Clara from Doctor Who. Playing As a... Joanna Constantine. Yes. Playing this version's female version of Constantine. Trying to separate everything from the DC continuity because you don't want to touch that shit, especially with Discovery getting their hands in that pot. Yep. I mean, I think we're all a little disappointed to not see Matt Ryan playing the role just anywhere it comes up. Maybe a tiny bit, but I'm not... You know, I, I think this show needed to identify itself with its own identity. Yeah. It didn't need to carry the baggage of CW. I guess. I, and you do that automatically by including Matt Ryan, unfortunately. Well, I don't know. He's still... I don't know. I associate him as much with the animated DC films and just him being himself more than, like... Legends of Tomorrow, for example. Sure, but still, I think that... I, I do appreciate this approach. They made their own version and their yeah. own mythology with it. And great, Not mythology, they still kept it, everything, including Astra's storyline and just having a new skin on everything, it mm -hmm. seemed like. But yes, if you have not seen The Sandman, please, please go watch it. Yeah. It is phenomenal. Dis <laughs> Despite how you might feel about high fantasy settings and setting up universities like Wesley did, you will certainly have a phenomenal time watching this. Yeah, it did not really feel high fantasy at any point, which is weird, because there's, there's a lot of fantasy shit going on, but it's just very grounded in reality and, and familiar. It might be the British aspect of it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, they're, they're good at subdued statements of, of the fantastic, I suppose. I think so. Maybe that's the maybe that's the whole point, except when you look at his dark materials. Ah, yes, but yes, go watch because despite this being like the top TV show in the world for the past two weeks, Netflix's expectations for the return on their investment are so high that a second season has been set up but not greenlit yet, and according to Neil Gaiman, it's not a guarantee. So, how is that? Even possible. <laughs> I guess it was a really expensive show to make. Which it was. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, because it didn't have a ton of high-profile names. Like, it had plenty of familiar people, but... You did, did you forget about all the CGI in that show? Did you forget about all the CGI in I know that there's, show? there's like, the sand effect and a dragon that looked okay for a minute. There, and I guess a lot all more. Of the, I guess all of the dreaming. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot more. I than just, just those it didn't two seem things. like they spent a lot of time in the dream world. When I don't they know, did. They spent did. time in the dream I, world. I guess the the quote fight between Lucifer is enough to kill a CGI budget for an entire indie film. Well, all right, yes. Which, that was a phenomenal fight. It was! And it's super memorable, and you're never going to forget it. Congratulations. Nope. Yes. I don't know, do you have anything else you would like to say about The Sandman? Go watch it. It's a rare show that I will 100% say that for, because I know you're all busy. And with that, we'll go to 
the last thing on our docket for reviews, which is my favorite TV show, 100%, Westworld Season 4. Wesley, what did you think about Westworld? Wes. I personally... So, I liked this better than Season 2, for sure. I do think Season 3 is going to be looked back on as the best season by far. That's very interesting you say that, but I still think people will probably clamor to the first season more than that, but... Hmm, perhaps. But, yeah, this parts of it felt like holding patterns that were just sort of there to juggle time while while telling the story they actually wanted to tell, which was Hale's, Hale's big break, more or less. So we really never had an opportunity to explore Hale as a character, I guess. Uh, before I even go into this, we should probably explain what Season 4 is all about. I don't know how we do that without spoiling it, because you don't realize what's going on until three or four episodes in. Well, yes. At this point in Westworld's world, the whole Rehoboam thing has gone underway, and humanity is trying to cope with multiple years later about the idea that they almost had a robot uprising. And that's about as spoiler-free as I can get. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. And going back to the idea of Hale's story, I think that this was just a perfect swan song, if you would, for her. And it was kind of giving this... You know, one of the most incredible scenes is the one scene that is happening in the streets of New York where the humans are dancing and Hale is there. And it brings up the idea of the gods are bored. Yes. And that that just still has stuck within me as just... I think that is the critical point of this season is we have seen a new society and what happens when we hit that utopic uh, pinnacle of it apparently you have to watch it crash down (laughs) apparently yeah and i think that's that's at least what i view as the core premise of this season because it does seem like it could be a potential closeout of the series but also this holding pattern for the last act that they are potentially setting up that i still don't 100 percent know what they are leading towards right yeah it, it does feel like it could be a conclusion to everything just sort of open-ended imagine where it goes from here except that would make season four a pretty eh, disappointing end for dolores you know except for that final note it's just I don't know, there's... They spent a whole season setting up where does she go from here, and then to leave that an open-ended question is pretty un- unsatisfying. I wouldn't I wouldn't exactly say that. And if I did get into why I would disagree, it would be very spoilery to show how the season ended up. And I already know we're kind of getting very much edging along the edge of spoiler mm. territory with a lot of the comments I've already said, yep. and I don't want to go any further than things I've already said. But there, one of the things I love about this show is its ability to still shock me, and it always happens halfway through the season. There's always this moment that you you think you understand what's happening, but then they pull the rug underneath you, and in, there's this one moment that uh, they pull that rug, and I still remember my jaw just dropping... <laughs> And it's just, I'm happy and surprised to see that the show still does that. Last season, they had the whole, what were the five host cores that were brought out of Westworld? Oh, it's just all copies of Dolores. Yeah. Which, granted, in hindsight, it wasn't as mind-blowing as other ones 
Whereas, like, season one, you had the whole, like, this has been multiple timelines the whole time! Which they kind of do again, but they're a little more upfront about it this time. Yes. Yeah. This season is definitely a lot more upfront. They still (laughs) tend to pull the rug pretty fast on you. And I'm actually trying to figure out what thing you're referring to, because the the timeline stuff you figured out well before it happened. I figured that out on a hunch, and I just ended up being right. Oh, okay. So that was the, the big shock for you. Not exactly. Okay. I'll tell you after. Yeah, that's fine. We can, yes. <laughs> but on top of that, I think that we just still get these phenomenal performances, and an improved story line for one particular character that I knew was suffering for at least two seasons, uh, in my opinion, with uh, William in this season. Right, yeah. William, they've had no idea what to do with him, and they've, again, given decent decent enough closure? I don't think we're done. No, we're definitely I don't think we're, we're done with him. Done. No. Because there's still that after credits scene in season two that is still unexplained. Yeah. Which is still the very reason I'm holding on to, like, they have one more season in them. I think they will try and get one more season out. Uh, I'm sure this is a very expensive show to make as well, and so forth. But yeah, there's there's enough left to wrap up. I think everybody involved is still interested. We'll probably see a season five. We probably will. I, I still think, you know, there there's a lot... Man, I want this show to go on as long as I can, but yeah. like at this point... I can see that there's not much left before we hit the ceiling of story narratives. Yeah. It was kind of like, season one and two are a good encapsulating story of the Westworld experience. And then season three opened up this entire broad horizon of the world itself. And season four kind of takes that and says, okay... We don't have anywhere else to go. This is it. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, season three, already, the world got turned upside down and thrown into anarchy. And then four kind of does that again, but in a different way. And then it does it even yet again. And yeah, you can't just keep hitting that beat or certainly not growing the stakes anymore. Right. I think we've hit the pinnacle of stakes, which makes me wonder how the fifth and final season is going to be in this final act as they have pegged it up to be. Yeah. This final game. I I think it does need to be like, it it has to be a showdown between William and Dolores. That, that seems like the core conflict that's been there the entire series and they've been angling to, to bring that back to a head. They have. I think that they've also been trying to see heavily how other characters and other um, hosts would kind of integrate and talk to each other. Because you would get many conversations that I at least had never anticipated happening in the past two seasons alone. But it's it's nice to see those interactions. And I feel like both Dolores and William have gone their separate ways because of the fact that they wanted to explore other characters and other outlets. So it's nice to see them converge in the final, but we'll see what happens because it hasn't really pinned itself up to be that kind of conflict. I mean, we don't know anything about it at this point. We don't. We don't even know if it's, coming back yes we don't know if it's coming back i checked multiple times yeah (laughs) because anything at hbo is questionable anything fuck me yes 
Anything more? Would you like to... The music. Oh, the music. <laughs> the music that I cannot st- stop playing because I just continually need to use Westworld music in all of my vampire games because Westworld is Vampire the Masquerade. It, I cannot... I cannot stop iterating that statement of fact. Yes, I think it was most clear these are vampires this season because they, they have the whole immortal thing and this season really delved into the the politics of, like, baronies and, and how oh, they would set up a ruling class. It's so fucking good. Yes. Um, yeah, and then on top of that, just the music is phenomenal. I feel like I've lost my hypothesis of the strings and the piano and the woodwinds theory I had from last time we reviewed this show, because now it's just kind of all over the board. We get, um, actually, we do get a lot of, like, still strings, but more guitar riffs with a lot of the covers. Um, and then, obviously, with the introduction of, I can't remember if it was called Gangster World or if it was called something else, but the 1920s Chicago Westworld, you get a lot of brass with various amounts of trombone and trumpets. It's... It's pretty incredible. I still can't stop listening to Enter Sandman and the Pyramid Song. And Bad Guy <sighs> and as well ba- this bad season. Bad Guy's fun. I still, like, it's kind of, it's very, it's very much a novelty yes, song. there's always one. And it's 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 great. I, I just, I feel like that was supposed to hit the same beat as... Paint It Black? No. That was definitely Enter Sandman if Paint It Black was anything. Okay. But for multiple reasons. I feel like... Bad Guy was more like supposed to be the Wicked Games version from last season. Okay. And because of the time era was trying to pull from, it didn't have the same gravitas, in my opinion, because Wicked Games has this build-up, and it is a build-up, where eventually it's crescendoing in this beautiful final piece in that number, whereas Bad Guy kind of just stays the same beat the whole time. And that's mm, that's true. fine. Yeah. Nothing bad about it. It just it definitely was noticeable. Mm. On top of that, I love the fact that it was basically Matrix Resurrections. Oh, this movie was so many different things. Or this uh, season was so many different things. <laughs> yes. But I there was literally an entire episode where it felt like the first Matrix, I would say. Yeah. Which Matrix Resurrections was in many ways just the first Matrix again. Yeah. We've had enough talks with friends that have been like, well, I'm happy I spent thirty dollars to go see the Matrix again. Yeah, whatever. But I, I'm still surprised that you personally don't like the season more because of that. I, I definitely appreciated that it did those things. But, you know, Matrix 4 being a faithful recreation is not going to stand out to me because it's not the thing that did it newest to me, if that makes any sense. like That does. Yeah, it's, it's a good homage, but homages aren't the kinds of things that stick in your head forever. Well, my... Tabletop games are just homages to every single piece of media I've ever watched. That's just called storytelling, yes. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Anyways, would you like to say anything more about Westworld, or shall we move on to... I don't know, are you sure you're not finished edging towards those Westworld spoilers? What? I don't know. I I don't think I have anything more to say (laughs) on, on Westworld. Well, let's go from Westworld to... Wes's Were-wolf. world. Yes, Wes's world of werewolves. <laughs> Wes's world of Westworld werewolves w- world. 
There is an expansion. Anyways. <laughs> to Werewolf the Apocalypse that takes place in the wild, wild west. Where it's wild with an I, and then wild with a Y. Anyways, I I took Wes and some very close friends of his and mine. Some fucking nerds. To go out on a cabin excursion for his birthday weekend. Yes. And he liked it. I I loved it. It was... Most of my favorite people in the whole world came in from halfway across the country, sometimes further, just to be with me on, on my birthday. It was amazing. Uh, the, the cabin itself was great. The hikes were great. Got to play plenty of board games. And I got to run a Werewolf the Apocalypse one-shot for, let's see, two of the six players were experienced with it so that means four were completely new to the system including me including you i got to dm for you which i basically haven't done before a little a little bit back in denver but it was a terrible campaign that was a very terrible campaign i'll I'll even admit that one yeah problem players yeah they're great (laughs) they they treated my campaign like a meme and that's yeah not good but I, i don't think i've dm'd you since then Nope, nope, can't think of it. So, yeah, it's always fun introducing players to a new system. I picked a story that I hoped would be accessible enough for folks, but I I really got into the the nitty-gritty specifics of Werewolf as a setting, and I don't know, I I didn't really do, like, a post-mortem with them to see what they thought of it, if it was something that they were able to pick up. I mean, everybody... By the second scene, I want to say, started getting a feel for what they could do and and how the stories were run. Sure. And, you know, we all had our basic identities formed. And, you know, there were characters that were more ingrained than others. I think that everyone had their pretty much their moments to shine, more or less. And they were able to build off on those moments with the abilities that were in their repertoire that were unique to them yeah there were one or two balls got dropped but i I pretty much gave everybody three or four signature abilities and most of them got used or had had the opportunity i did kind of have to hand wave the the final combat which is annoying but it was 1 a.m and we had to leave 10 hours later so well we thought we had to leave 11 hours later but for some reason the airbnb (laughs) said you know, during weekdays, you could check out at 11. Weekends, you have to check out at 10. And we found that out 30 minutes before then. Yeah. Oh, well. We, we made it. We, we made it. I don't it. think we've gotten any extra charges. Haven't gotten anything yet. Cool. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm, I'm the storyteller. Of course I can enthuse about how awesome everything was all day. What did you think of just Werewolf as a setting? As a setting? I think I think the dice mechanics were rough. Okay. <laughs> I think it also doesn't help that we just kept rolling terribly. I mean, you had some good rolls. We did. Most of the things you tried, you succeeded on. Yes. Yeah. I think you, you were taking pity on us. No. No, no, no. Plus, I mean, you have willpower. It's there for a reason. I was generous sure. about letting you replenish it. Sure. I still, I still think that... The system overall, I'm excited to see what W5 is going to be. I, okay, so I asked you what you thought of the setting. I, I, specifically trying to avoid talk of dice, but now that you're bringing up dice, we're going to throw down over this again. (laughs) So, 
Vampire 5th Edition, oh, and boy. almost certainly Werewolf 5th Edition, you roll a certain number of d10s reflective of the total points you've put into the related abilities to a thing. Uh-huh. You have a, each die has a 50-50 chance of being a success. Yeah, there's some more complicated nuances to it, but that's the simplest explanation for it. Sure. If it's a six or higher, it's a success. More successes means you do, you succeed even better. Sure. Werewolf, you have the full one to ten range, where six through ten often will be a success, but I'm free to say, no, this is a really difficult thing you're trying. You need to get at least an eight to succeed on it. But you only need one. And that's the important thing of this, is I can say this is a difficulty 10 task. Nigh impossible. But even if you only have one point in the relative attributes, you can certainly try. And you'll only have a 1 in 10 chance on that one single die. But man, that feels good when it lands. Now, alternatively, in Vampire, what you have to do to create the same sort of situation is say, this is really difficult. You have a ton of stats in this, so I'm going to require five successes on it. Somebody with only one die to this pool shouldn't even bother trying. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not prepared in that. But there's still a chance they could succeed. No. Yeah, that's... This is where we disagree. And do, I, do you want the person with the butter knife to be able to cut the god in half with that one dice? Well, okay, DM can, should always be the arbiter of, like, no, you cannot flat, you flat out cannot roll for this. I, I, I think, yeah, I think that there is, there is less complication in Vampire, in my opinion, and therefore less complication on the player, and more concrete, direct rules to address the player, to tell them, no, you, you rolled that many successes, and this is always set to this degree, so it's... Well, so you start having to, to argue with players, though, about, what do you mean? I got, I got two successes. How is two not enough? Well, because the other person scored four. Because you needed three, because there was no other person to climb this wall or whatever. Well, then that's when willpower is put into play. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I Werewolf is more complicated. I like that it gives the players that don't necessarily have the stats for things the, the chance to try where Vampire, they don't. It's my stubborn brain that is happy to just argue with you and say that this is better because it is familiar. Mm. Yes, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. As for the setting, the setting's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you learn anything new about it? Nothing that I didn't know already. Okay. All right. Fair. I'm learning a little bit more about Uctana. Uctana, yeah. Was certainly interesting. Yeah. Which I didn't get too deep into, like, the hows and whys of of how Uctana works, but mm -hmm. it, it did end up being the, the BBG of the campaign. Right. But, yeah. Overall, players did well. I was happy to see everyone getting invested and having a good time and, and working together, communicating you know, elevating one of my NPCs who I thought would be a, a throwaway character that would just die to up the stakes, but y'all tried to save him and did, so... Yeah, that was... Made uh, me really proud. Did not expect to go from, he is your 
camera rival to ex-partner. Well, you three invented, times over. You invented that beat. I did invent that beat, <laughs> and I'm happy that I was able to get that through to you, saying, "Yes, you're going to accept this, or I'm just going to burn the house down," which I ended up doing <laughs> you anyways. Did. You ended up doing it anyways because I filled the walls with snakes. Yeah, as soon as you said that, first of all. Chills down my spine because you know how much I hate that. Yes. And second of all, I wasn't not going to use that fucking flamethrower at one point. (laughs) Yes, the flamethrower you asked for, yes. I am glad you got to use it because, you know, combat didn't end up happening. But yes, it was fun. The setting was fun. Okay. Yeah, I had an absolute blast with it. And I'm happy you got a chance to show off that universe and show off that... Um, setting, more or less. Yeah, compared to Vampire, it's a lot more high action. I guess yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> I say, you've never seen my my sessions then, because they get pretty intense Oh, with I, I, I guess. Players, player's gonna player. Exactly. Yep. So from that, we don't have many other tabletop updates, because both of our chronicles are kind of on a weird hiatus, although I have a fuck ton of Vampire this weekend. And Hunter... Yes, you do. Oh, God. It's a World of Darkness, Wild Wild West weekend. Wild Wild West, Yes, you would say. Perhaps, I might. Anyways, let's move on to the news where we have more tabletop fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Xbox marketing team has decided the next edition of Dungeons & Dragons will be called D&D 1. (laughs) Confusing no one, I'm sure. Well, we've already had an entire generation's worth of people ask Xbox One, why? And they had to repeat... Xbox Y is something different. So, I I know that they had to say this so many times that it's been ingrained into my head. The word one means that it's the one place to go to for all of your entertainment needs. Right. At least that's what Xbox thinks. And now D&D 1 is claiming that it is the one and only edition of D&D hereafter. Which I don't hate. It's kind of... We, I think you even mentioned on this podcast is when are we going to get to the point when editions of D&D are going to be patch notes, which is what this is clearly leading towards. It honestly doesn't... It hasn't. It either hasn't sunk into me yet that it's actually a new edition, or it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't, because now we're entering an age where they are still going to provide the books. They are revising all the things for this very edition for some vague rules that or whatever that they're changing. I don't know exactly what they were changing. Oh, there are some contentious changes, specific, oh. specifically to how crits work. Oh. Yeah, I... I yeah, I could be getting this wrong, but I think crit failures are going away entirely. NPCs are not allowed critical damage. There's there's some really contentious big things. That's that's a lot. Good thing that as a tabletop, nothing matters unless you make it. Right, yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I think every DM, in the moment, when you see the 20 or the 1 comes come up, whatever the actual outcome is, the DM is is swaying it one way or another in that moment every single time it happens, regardless of what the rules say. And yeah, like, I, it just, I don't know. I was talking to a guest star that's going to play in my Fall of London session in the upcoming week, and uh, I was explaining my, my own home rules for Vampire, and I'm like, just so you're aware, 
if you score one crit, it's still going to count as two successes. You do not need the second crit for it to count for two successes, because I feel like that's dumb, and I want players to have fun. Yes. And, you know, seeing the number go big is fun. And God, if someone gets into my comments section or my DMs bitching about how I run Vampire, I will fucking kill you. Oh boy, yeah. Anyways. Anyways. So, D&D 1, what is that? Fucked if I know. They, (laughs) ah, God. So, they did this brief 10-minute overview of of what all's coming with it, with all of their big names and faces. Including someone that you used to work with. Including someone I used to work with, who just... You know, never mind. I I should not say anything. Nope, you should not say anything. <laughs> uh, but it seems like the headlining feature is this virtual tabletop program they've got, and uh, Rip Tailspire, which is this software that I've been really invested in for the last couple of years. That basically does what D and D one is about to do, from the looks of it. Well, D and D one is also three years off from official launch, even though they have a beta out. Yeah. And Tailspire has a lot more assets than just high fantasy. Yes, they do have a significant head start. Also, they have Hero Forge in their and, back pocket. Yeah, and thank God they have that, because, yeah, <laughs> if, if D&D 1 pulled that card out and Tailspire didn't already have it, that would be catastrophic. Yeah, so that was my, my whole backing on, like, that's a little troublesome for Tailspire, but yeah, Hero Forge is such a huge monolith in the D&D space yes that I was honestly waiting for that to drop and that would have been like game over for Tailspire but they have that still I don't think that they're gonna take that any away anytime soon yeah. if anything maybe Tailspire is gonna also allow the same functionality between them unless or sorry D&D 1 will allow the same functionality between them unless there is some kind of exclusivity deal with Tailspire but I don't think that's I don't think that's a low beat that Tailspire would go after. I feel like that's something that only big name companies like Wizards of the Coast might go after. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but I don't really trust Wizards to not be total dicks about the situation in every possible way that they can. Especially considering that Spelljammers came out and it's like a quarter the size of normal expansions and they don't even explain how to run a Spelljammer and it's also like $20 extra. Yeah, yeah, I don't really understand this at all. So... This is another thing that was interesting on top of all these announcements, because they announced a roadmap with all the expansions coming out in the next year. Oh, God, we're going to see season passes before this is over. <laughs> uh, and it's weird for it to happen, because the week prior, there were so many people that were coming out in arms about, like, Spelljammers, because uh, it's just not great. Yeah. It's not the be- the worst, it's just not like there's... A whole lot of oomph behind it. So, Spelljammer is billed as D&D in, in space. space. And it doesn't have rules for space travel. It's basically just disparate worlds that you can travel to, which is like every fucking D&D <laughs> setting. Uh, okay. Cool. How do I operate the ship? Uh, I don't know. Put a crystal in it. Yeah. Hextech. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what is in Spelljammer. Presumably... Nothing. A new... You know, the same thing you get in every D&D expansion. And some new races, some new subclasses. And that's and some magic items, and that's probably about it. And, and it's $50 rather than 30 Yeah, so... I don't know. 
it's it's one thing that like you know I'm staring at sixteen hundred pages of Starfinder source books sitting on our shelf that have gone unused because you don't want a huge barrier to entry nope for anybody and I think that even goes with World of Darkness because Jason Achille has even said I try to keep these books as short as possible yeah but you know Wizards is dominating the market. These books don't need to be exorbitantly expensive if you're also going to be paring them down this much. But it does feel like it's just, it's it's Spelljammer, it's Pathfinder, or it's D&D in space. We need to charge more for it just out of, you know, uh, not etiquette. I'm trying to think of the word I'm, I'm groping for. Gravitas. Gravitas, thank Brand you. name. Yes. Brand recognition. Right. It has an apple on the product. We should charge... $100 more because of the Apple. Exactly right. And that's frustrating, to say the least. Yeah, it makes me happy that I'm kind of like a super huge World of Darkness fanboy now, even though it's so hard to be a World of Darkness fanboy. It is. It's very difficult. Yeah. You know, they, they dropped the whole vampire character journal this past week, and I had no idea it was coming out. It's also kind of criminally short with the note-taking section, which is only like 70, no, not even 70, like 40 pages long, and I'm like, okay, you really anticipate your vampires to die fast, don't you? Probably. Yeah. But, anyways, <sighs> I just very much waiting to see what, when we get our Nexus demiplane thing <laughs> up and running, because I'm still waiting, got that ultimate bundle, because I'm like, Give me all this stuff. Yes, please. Anyway, so on better notes, Spider-Man Remastered on PC had an interesting encounter this past week where they banned a modder who established a mod where they replaced all pride flags in the game. With American flags. Oh, was it American flags? I was yes. about to say, I had no idea what they replaced it with. It was, yeah, there already were American flags in the game. Yeah. So it just used that same exact texture. Okay. Yeah. Fuck this guy in particular, and good on Insomniac, I'm assuming. No, this was Nexus Mods, was the... the oh, yeah, okay, so the, yeah, third party, okay. Right. Third party person, obviously we're in the mods, that Insomniac can't really touch them, kind of. Yeah, so this was a sock puppet account for a different user that actually had a pretty long history of making mods. So it was clear that he made this account specifically because he knew he was making something that violated the terms of service. Oh. So Nexus banned both accounts. So oh. bravo. Good Even on better. Yes. Yeah. They said that they would have just, they put out a statement saying they would have just given a warning if he had done it on his main account. But because this was obviously troll behavior, they shut down both. So, wow. Good job, Nexus. Good job, Nexus. And last but not least, you have a story about... I do. Guilty Gear. Last weekend was Evo, the fighting game expo, which I think always takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada in the summer. And it's just a big long weekend of fighting game tournaments where all the big games make their biggest announcements. And the next entry in Guilty Gear is ramping up towards release. So we are starting to see details emerge about characters. Bridget has been in this universe for quite some time. I didn't know anything about Guilty Gear's lore before I heard this story break. But apparently this character Bridget was born a boy in a society 
where if you have two children of the same gender, it's looked on as extremely bad luck, and one of them must be gotten rid of. I believe that means sent into exile, but I'm not quite sure. So, the parents chose to simply raise the second child as a girl to avoid suspicion. And that is Bridget. Hmm. And for a long time, there was disapproval among fans of the game calling Bridget a trap, basically. Oh boy. Yes. Saying that it was gay if you liked Bridget. Well, now Bridget has come out as just a full-on trans woman. She has discovered about herself that being raised as a girl just felt right, and that is just her identity now. So, from alleged trap to now just trans women, uh, trans woman. So, I yeah, it was a very problematic awkward, squishy character beat to have started with, and I feel like this was the right move to update this character. I mean, at this point, you're just kind of saying, yeah, fuck you, we're just gonna make them trans. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much exactly what they did. I'm very happy about that. And, and <laughs> yes. I always like sticking it to the conservatives. Pretty much. I mean, they're probably all trans women now, too, so... <laughs> probably. It's still gay to like Bridget. Yes. Well, Wesley, with that, do you have anything else you would like to talk about? I I think I'm good for this week. Well, with that, my name is Matt. And as Matt just said, my name is Wesley, as in wild, wild, whatever. And thank you for listening to our podcast. We will be back in two weeks' time to talk about Dragon Con. Dragon Con. Jesus Very Christ. Very exciting. First time. Oh my god, I'm so tired. So yeah. much traveling. And so much tabletop. But thank you very much for listening, and we will see you very soon. Yep. Bye. Bye.